Well, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 44. And our topic this morning is the resurrection body. Resurrection's been on my mind a lot lately, as you might imagine. Again, recently we said goodbye to Sarah's mom, Brenda, who went home to glory on July 14th. Again, we thank everyone for the prayers and support throughout the whole process. Uh, Brenda's body was laid to rest at Wisconsin Memorial Park in a, in a tomb there. Have you been to Wisconsin Memorial Park? Anybody familiar with that? It's so interesting to me because it is the biggest cemetery that I've personally ever been in. I haven't been to like Arlington or anything. I'm sure those are, that's massive. But I mean, when you look at it on a map, it looks like just a huge park. And uh, you, you go in there, and it's, it's a really beautiful cemetery, I'll say that. It's just, it's just big. It's very foreign to me growing up in rural Indiana. You never saw anything like it. And there's mausoleums outside and a big chapel building, and it's even got mausoleums inside of it and things. It's just a, an interesting place. But anyway, that's where she was laid to rest, in a, in a tomb, you know, above the ground a, a few feet. And, of course to say goodbye to her for now, it was painful. It is painful. It leaves a hole in the lives of us that knew her so well. There's, a, there's an emptiness where she used to be in so many aspects of our life. And uh, we rest assured she's with the Lord. We, we know she's again rejoicing with the Lord now. Um... But you know, the thing within all of this, again, is just that hope of resurrection and that hope of being reunited with all of those that we've had to say goodbye for now, too. Uh, and, And that's what Paul's talking about in the passage this morning is this hope of resurrection. It's just such a wonderful thing. I, you know, you to think, um, well, think like this when, when the Lord rose from the dead, and they went to his tomb, and that tomb was empty, right? And there's going to be a day on this world where someone could go to where Brenda's tomb is or wherever you will be laid to rest. And you know what they'll find? It'll be empty one day. It will not be there forever. As a matter of fact, we have a committal uh, service usually when we go to the gravesite or we go to the burial place or the, the crypt, the mausoleum, whatever the case is, and and... Basically, what we're doing is, is acknowledging we're laying the body to rest for now until Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, says, come forth, and those will all be empty. And there's, there's actually not a grave on this planet, tomb, burial, whatever, grave, that will not be empty one day. Because that's the power of his resurrection, is that one day he will raise everyone again. Some to everlasting life, which is our hope, but some to everlasting condemnation, as Scripture says, to live for eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. And that's, the, those are, that's what's at stake in this book and in our lives and in the universe. That's what's at stake, the souls of everyone who's ever lived. So we come to our passage this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 35. And in this chapter, again, as we've said in weeks past, uh, Paul's been defending 
the very doctrine of the resurrection from the dead. There were obviously some in the Corinthian church who had begun to doubt it, struggle with it, and reason amongst themselves, probably with a heavy dose of worldly philosophy and wisdom, that, well, well, there can't certainly be resurrection from the dead. Why would you want... You know, why would you want that old dead body back anyway? You know, why would you want that decomposing corpse moving around again? And thoughts like that. And obviously within all of that, as we're going to see through the passage, is a, really you're doubting God and you're doubting his word when you start to wrestle with something like the resurrection from the dead. So Paul's been defending this. He's been explaining to them that resurrection is assured, primarily because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's the prototype of our resurrection. He's the firstfruits from the dead. He's the one that we will follow in resurrection. And again, because of his power and his resurrection, everyone will eventually be raised from the dead to go to some place, as we've said. And what Paul is dealing specifically in our passage this morning is really the, the nature of our resurrection body. He begins to explain Well, some people in the Corinthian church were thinking, well, that's impossible. Why would he do that? How could he do that? And Paul says, fool? (laughs) What are you talking about? It's God we're talking about here, not you. It's God. He can do it. (laughs) It's not a problem. And that's basically the summary of his argument. (laughs) Don't you know what God can do? Don't you know you're God? You know, that's that's really kind of what's underlying his explanation here, as we'll see. So let's look at the first few verses here together and walk through these. And we're going to be talking, first of all, about the miracle of resurrection. And again, the emphasis is really on the fact that, yes, God can do it. He will do it. And so verse 35, again, it says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Again, right away, you see the questions they were posing. Uh, he's, He's anticipating the questions. He's probably heard these questions that are coming out of the Corinthian church. How are the dead raised? With what body do they come? And again, we could see somebody in their own human wisdom reasoning, like, how can you take somebody that's been laid to rest, and we know, even the Bible says, from dust you came, and from dust you shall return. And God said, you're going to go back to dust. And that's what happens, and we know that. The the process takes over, the decomposition, the body starts to turn to dust over the years. And so you could say, like, well, how in the world can you take that back and bring that back into to the person that was, the body that was, or, or whatever it is? How can you take the ashes of somebody cremated? How can you take somebody who was lost at sea and who knows what happened to their body? How, can you, how, could, how, how could God even bring that back together, right? And that's the kind of reasoning that they were coming from. And Paul doesn't really mince words in verse 36, does he? And it tells us that they're not really asking from a place of curiosity or could you make this more clear for me? Could you give me understanding, Paul? No, they're doubting it. They're slandering God. They're, they're, they're moving forward in unbelief. And to that he says, fool! 
Aphron in the Greek. Remember the passage in Psalm 14.1 that says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Which is basically saying no to God. Well, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament that was translated a long time ago, they use the Greek word aphron for the word fool there. So Paul's borrowing the word. He's basically, he could be even alluding to this verse. You're being foolish. Because you, you would stand up to God and say, you can't do this, God. You can't raise people from the dead. You can't take that body and make it something new. So that seems to be part of why he comes so strong here. Foolish one. And then he begins this series of reasonings. And he's given multiple illustrations in this passage. He's going to talk about seed time and harvest. He's going to talk about the differences in the created kinds on the earth. And then he's even going to talk about sun, moon, and stars and, and the glories of the heavens as illustrations of, don't you tell me God can't do something that he says he's going to do. And he uses all these illustrations. So first of all, he starts talking about the seed and what that becomes. And the point we want to make here is he begins to, to share a little bit about the nature of the resurrection body, the miracle of what God's going to do. He gets into the seed and what grows from the seed. And the point here is that the resurrection body is made from the earthly body. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a moment, but it's interesting to think, you know, God could, God didn't really need to use the old body. He could have given you a whole new one. He could have created a whole new one from scratch if he wanted to, but he chooses it to do it this way. And, he, and he, so he will, the, the resurrection body we have, it will be made from the old. And that's why all those graves and all those tombs will be empty. And the sea will give up the dead that is in them, it says in Revelation. There's not any body that's going to be left behind when God calls forth to the resurrection and each one in their order. He's going to do it. But it's made from the old. And he chooses to do that. So the resurrection body has continuity to your current earthly body. There's continuity. This body will raise. It, the resurrection body will be made from this body. And he, to point that out, he points us to the seeds and what comes of the seed. You know, what do you do? You, you go out in the spring, if you're a gardener or you're a farmer or, or whatever, or uh, anyway, anyway, you go out with your seeds and you get your ground ready, right? And you take that seed and the seed, you know... For all intents and purposes, that seed's not going anywhere. That's lifeless, you know. It's dormant. It's dead in that sense. And what do you do with that seed? You put it in the ground. You see the analogy? Just like you put a body in the ground, you put a seed in the ground. Just dead. Dead and buried, right? But then what happens, Paul says? Because of how God has created all things, what happens to the seed? Generally speaking, we know some seeds don't ever sprout. (laughs) That's... This is an analogy, <laughs> but, it, but the seed grows. It, begins, it pops open, life comes out through the soil up to the sun and grows into whatever it is, right? I was thinking about, I, I meant to do this, I meant to bring in an acorn. I couldn't, I, we don't have any oak trees in our property and I forgot to look for one over the weekend, so I was meant to bring in an acorn and just, you know, acorn, it's not much to look at, is it? Little dead nut, doesn't do anything. Um, but you put that in the ground, and that, be, that comes up a sapling, an oak sapling, and you, you leave that, you know, what will you have in 50 to 60 years? You're going to have a pretty good-looking tree. And you've seen, you know, you go out in the woods, you see these mighty oak trees. 
you know, some of these oaks, if they're left alone 100 years or so, they get pretty big. A um, couple hundred years even, they can get really big. Big and strong and just huge. And they don't look anything like an acorn anymore, do they? <laughs> when, you, when you go out and you plant your garden, um, I don't know, let's just use the, the illustration of a pumpkin. You take a pumpkin seed, right? Little thin seed, you put that in the ground, it grows. You get a vine, you get flowers, you get pumpkins. doesn't look anything like a seed anymore, does it? We know there's seeds in it, but again, that, that's the point. He says, just look in creation. And what does God do every day in creation? He brings life from what is apparently dead. Every tree, every plant, every flower, everything in your garden, everything on your farm, grass, trees, whatever, that's how it works. So Paul's making the point, we live in a whole world where we're seeing a picture of resurrection. And it's all because of God's power. And he says, just like that works, so he's going to do to our bodies. Yes, we're going to lie in the ground until he, it's time. For us, that's the rapture when he comes from his church. But at that time, our bodies will come forth, and he will fashion them into our resurrection body in that moment, in the blink of an eye. And so, see... This is part of the reason it, it doesn't matter. I'm very respectable of people's convictions, but it, it doesn't really matter what happens to your body when you die. It doesn't matter if you choose a burial in a grave or entombment or cremation. It doesn't matter. It, doesn't, nothing, it never takes it out of God's domain. It's never beyond his reach. And I just want to say, I know people struggle with that at times. You know, there's been thoughts in the past like, if somebody gets cremated, can God, can God raise them from the dead? I, uh, yes, yes, he can. Because then we got trouble for all the people who got burned against their will, you know. So anyway, so, he, so what we want to show you here again, is this like from the seed to the fruit, from the acorn to the oak, whatever, you have continuity. That seed became the tree. But it don't look nothing like the tree anymore, does it? There's continuity, but there's something else going on, and that's our next point. The resurrection body is a transformation of our earthly body. It's not completely the same. There's some different attributes. It's of a different nature. It's made from the same body, but it's a transformation of that body. Again, when Jesus rose from the dead, his tomb was empty. And again, he is the prototype. He's the first fruits of resurrection. So we always look at him as sort of like get an idea of what does a resurrected individual look like and, and how, are they, how can they move and act and all these kinds of things. And we know, you know, his body, it came out of the tomb, but it had been regenerated. It had been reborn. It had been transformed. It, 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 it was beyond any touch of death. It was beyond hunger. It was beyond the limitations of the physical world as he could be over here and then he could be over there in a blink of an eye. He could eat, but didn't have to eat. And then he was lifted up into heaven at the end of his ministry on the earth after his resurrection. Which seems like maybe even gravity doesn't have, much, doesn't have any hold on you anymore. But the point being, the body was not simply healed. It was not simply reanimated, just reinvigorated. No, it was completely reborn and transformed. 
It was the old body, but it had been made into something new. And that's how the resurrection works. God takes the old, but he makes something new out of it. And again, this is, this is God's choice. This is, in, in his infinite wisdom, he's chose to do it this way. You know, you kind of wonder about that. Why does God choose to use the old body to give you the new body, the resurrected body? It's clear from the doctrine of resurrection that he intends for us to have a body. That's his part of his good creation. He wants man in a, in a body with some physical elements to it. He wants that. But why not a new one? And to me, it just speaks of God as a redeemer, God as a restorer, that God wants to take the old messed up stuff and make it something new. In Romans 8.23 talks about resurrection this way. It says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So there even scripture calls it, the resurrection calls it the redemption of our body. To redeem means to, to buy back, to repurchase. That's the, the technical idea. So in, instead of just throwing away the old tattered body that was corrupt with sin and death and all of that when we die, God wants to redeem that. So he takes that old broken body, dead, and he recreates it, as it were. He transforms it. He regenerates it so that it can live forever in a glorified state. That, to me, says a lot about who God is. Because God just doesn't throw things away. God just doesn't throw people away. He redeems. He works in people's life to bring beautiful things out of broken and wounded things. And that's what the resurrection reminds me of, that it's not just a future thing, but it's even, it reminds me of what God's doing now. As he takes lost sinners who might curse him one day, and he can transform them from the inside out through his grace, through the saving power of Christ, and turn them into people who glorify him on a day-to-day basis. God will never throw you away, despite your failings, despite your falls. Even, even when you fail, even when you fall, he can redeem it. He can bring something good out of that. Because Romans 8.28 tells us that he can work all things to good. When we walk by faith, even when we look back, we've messed up, he can work it out. And that's, to me, just an amazing thing about God. He is a redeemer, not a destroyer. And this is what the resurrection reminds me. As we move on to... Well, let me just say this about verse 38. Verse 38 to me, is really kind of a key verse in this passage where he says, but God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each see its own body. Again, Paul's like, questioning the resurrection is questioning God. That's what makes a person foolish if they're ignoring what God has said, if they're thinking God can't do something he said. Again, that's, that's where the, the idea of fool comes in. But Paul's basic answer is, God can do what he pleases. God can do what he wants. He can give it any kind of body. 
If you're sitting here puzzling over, well, how could he take this old thing and make it into this glorified body? Again, don't you know you're God? <laughs> don't you see what he does? And as Paul's pointing out here, don't you see what he does every day? The power on display all around us as the seeds become the crops and the trees and the flowers and the fruits. Don't you see that he's able to do as he pleases? Move on to verse 39. He says, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. I kind of appreciate this verse. It, it's almost like Paul's like, let me explain it to you like you're five. You know how a fish and a bird are different? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you know, looking at one of those like, little seek and find books that a toddler looks at. Animal, bird, fish. You see, they're different, right? Yeah, yeah it's because God can do those things. <laughs> anyway, explain it to me like I'm five. Okay, okay, I'll do that. But anyway, so a point we can take away from verse 39 is basically... What he's getting at is that the resurrection body is of a different kind of flesh. It's of a different kind of flesh. We're going to find that a little bit later in our passage because he's going to tell us in uh, verse, oh, where is it here? Um, Oh, yeah, verse 50. Verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Otherwise, otherwise saying flesh and blood, as we know it on this earth, is not fitted for heaven. Can't, can't dwell there. So God's going to give you a different kind of flesh because Christ still had a physical body. It still was of a flesh. We'll talk more about that in our passages ahead, but it's a different kind of flesh. And so Paul's explaining, again, they're getting caught up on how can you take old dead and make it living again and that doesn't seem like that could work and he's saying like no just again look at everything God can do he does the seed and he does the the you know what comes from the seed and then look what he's made in the creative order and again he says man animal fish bird right that remind you of anything that that layout reminds me of Genesis and how the created order in Genesis God made man on the sixth day, made all the, the beasts that creep upon the earth, basically, you know, the animal kinds on the earth. Before that, on day five, he had made all the aquatic creatures to fill the seas, and he made all the flying creatures to fly through the air. So, so Paul's fourfold division here, I don't think is accidental. I think he's going back to creation and reminding us, God can make things suited for, for the air. God can make creatures suited for the water. God can make creatures suited for the land. And God makes man suited for the life that he's supposed to live. That's Paul's point. Look at all, even in this life, there's different kinds of flesh. And God has made a variety of things, of kinds, in creation. And each one is suited for its environment. And we recognize the difference, right? You know, fish have scales, birds have feathers, the animals may have fur or hair. You know, there's differences in skin and, and those kinds of things, and even in the, the tissues, right? I mean, you, you eat a fish, that's a different, that's a different uh, texture a lot of times than eating like a than chicken, right? You know, there's differences of, of t- you know, it really is difference of flesh, if you will, in a lot of those things. There's, there's a variety in the created order. And so Paul says, if there's a variety now, and God can make all these different kinds of bodies here, you don't think he can make a glorified resurrected body for you? 
That's the point. Look at what he's already done. See, he looked at vegetation. Now he's looking at the created kinds. He's saying God can do these things. And again, the indication is that it means that we're going to have a different kind of flesh in our new resurrected and transformed body. As he goes on here in verse 40, he says, There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And I'll read verse 41. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, and one star differs from another star in glory. It could maybe seem like a bit of a jump to go, like we're talking about animals, and we're talking about things on the earth and things in heaven and the sun and moon and stars. It's like we're jumping around. But again, what Paul's doing is basically surveying creation, right? I mean, you could really parallel this passage to Genesis again, right? You could, you could see that. Um, again, vegetation, the animal kinds, you know, the sun, moon, and stars. By the way, God made the sun, moon, and stars on day four. And uh, have, you been, have you seen these pictures recently of, of what the new telescope, I'm forgetting the name of the new telescope that's in space now, that they're being able, what is it? The James Webb? Okay. I just see the initials, and so I haven't, it hasn't clicked. You know, you know the Hubble one. But, the, but this new telescope, actually the cameras can detect a wider spectrum of, of light waves. So when it looks out in space, like the Hubble just detecting visible light is what you and I can see, right? We, we see what we see. We, like, you know, there's this whole spectrum of light waves, the electromagnetic scale, they call it. And we get to see about this much of it. <laughs> I mean, it's really what we can see. But this telescope now expands it, at least into the infrared. And uh, so, so there's even, like, more color, more light. It even looks more glorious when you even kind of, like, see even more of what God has in place. And that, that's, that's some of the things that's amazed me is the more we peer into the heavens, the more we see, the farther we look, and we just see more and more and more massive and awesome things in the heavens above. <laughs> just the glory of God, the handiwork of God, as the scriptures were. In, in the stars, his handiwork I see. That's what David said. Like thousands of years ago, when you could look up in the sky, you could see what you could see, and it was bright without all the city lights. But, but what we can see, we see so far beyond now with telescopes and all this, and this new telescope. We've seen things that never even seen it. And it doesn't, it doesn't take away from what David said, right? It just makes it more real. You know, in the stars, this handiwork I see just gets bigger in our minds. And by the way, I love how Genesis explains God creating all that vast you know, galaxies of heaven and everything in Genesis and a verse, I forget the verse, but he just says, and he made the stars also, and that's all it says. <laughs> oh, and by the way, oh, yeah, 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 the stars, yeah, he made those too. You know, and it's like just this vast cosmos out there, and we're just, every time we look, it's just like we're just scratching the surface. Anyway, Paul directs the attention out there now. He's looked at vegetation, he's looked at animal kinds. Look out, by the way, look up here. Look out here, look out here. The point we're going to make here on these verses is that the resurrection body will far surpass the earthly body. The resurrection body will far surpass the earthly body. He starts talking about terrestrial and celestial. Terrestrial means on this world. Celestial means in the heavens above, looking out at the cosmos of space. 
And he's saying, even notice the difference between the two. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like, you think, really, our, our bodies today, what does, what does God call our bodies once we become a believer? The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, and we, are, we become what? The temple of God. This body becomes the temple of the Most High God, which is another thought that can explode your brain. But anyway, God, God in all his fullness can dwell within you. In this body, this body that we can talk about how it's feeble and frail and it's, it's prone to sickness, disease, and eventually death, it's tainted with sin, and yet God will still live in us and through us and make use of this body now. And what does he do with our bodies? What does he do with us altogether? What's, what's the point? To glorify him. To glorify him. He, he, he can use your body right now, this body, to glorify him. Isn't that what we're about, our lives? We walk faithful with him. We, 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 we live in obedience to him. We, we let him live through us. That's glorifying to him. So even this frail, feeble body was still created to be, a, to be glorifying to God, right? I mean, go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam was there in a sinless, perfect state before it was corrupt with sin and death. And it was, he was made to glorify God. But even after the fall, if even all that because God's a redeemer, even now our life and our, our physical body, we can use it to glorify him. And actually, that's part of our mission, is people are supposed to look at our lives and see the glory of Christ radiating through us. Not in like this bright star light, but in the character and virtue that he creates in our heart that lives out of us. The fruit of the Spirit shines forth through us. So even now, this body can glorify God. But, but, but the, kind of what Paul's doing here, that would be like on the earth, the terrestrial glory. We can glorify God now. But just think what it will be in that day, the level of glory by which we will glorify him. And it sure seems apparent that when we are resurrected and we're in heaven with the Lord, that the glory obviously will still be God's glory and it will still be connected to his goodness and his virtue and character. But it will be a visible glory that will shine. I mean, there's passages that talks about people, uh, saints, that shine as the stars. I don't think that that's hyperbole. I think that there's literally a, a light of God is probably going to shine through our resurrected bodies. So that's what Paul seems to be doing. There's to treasure on the celestial. Even here, there's a level of glory, but it's going to be far surpassing. It's going to be much brighter. And to prove his point, he says, look at the sun, the moon, the stars. Right? You know, they differ in glory. Obviously, when you look out in the sky at any time, you know, depending on the time of the day, what is the most glorious entity from our perspective here on earth? The sun, <laughs> which you can't look at with your naked eye very long or you'll burn it, right? You can't even look at the full sun. I really think that that's, that's something God did on purpose to really, like, help us start to think. That's kind of, he's even brighter than the noonday sun. You know, the Bible tells us if you stand before God in your, this body... In his unadulterated glory, you will be consumed. It'll destroy you right in the spot. It's, it's such a bright glory. The sun's kind of, a, kind of a picture of that. But the sun, there, there's nothing more glorious in the sky than the sun from the perspective of the earth. I mean, it lights the whole planet, doesn't it? 
Matter of fact, any, any light we see outside is simply the reflection of the sun, isn't it? It's just, his, it's just the, the glory of the sun shining on everything and, and bouncing off to where we can see it. So the sun is the, the highest of the glory of the bodies in heaven. And then, obviously, from our perspective, the moon would be the next thing, right? When you talk about brightness and glory, you go out at night, full moon, boom, wow, it can light up the ground a little bit. You, know, you can see, you know, not like the sun, but you can see things. You can walk in the moonlight. You can see what's going on to a degree. And that's a pretty dramatic even step down, though, right? Sun to moon compared to, like, one of them you can't look at, and the other one just gives you enough light to see at night. And the moon only reflects the, the glory of the sun, right? We know that. And then he talks about the stars as well. They're, from our perspective at night, those are, you see them, but they're, they're not real bright. Some of them are brighter than others, right? We see some stand out. Some are very faint. But nothing is visible as the moon, and the moon is not even close to the sun. And Paul's saying, if God can make stars that have light, and then the moon that has more light, and then to the sun that you can't even look at, then he has no problem making you a resurrected body. Again, he's just going through creation and looking at everything God's already done to prove the point, he can do this. It's not too hard for him. Verse 41, again, it talks about the differences that we've just explored of the sun and moon and the stars, and again reminds us that the stars differ from one another in glory. And I will bring out that there, there could be some, I don't know, there could be some difference of uh, implications that Paul is seeking to bring out in that passage. I mean, again, I know he's making the point that your resurrected body will be far more greater than this body. It'll shine, it'll be it'll far surpass the body you have now. So that's like, you know, one of the basic points. God can do it, it'll far surpass your earthly body. But another possible idea in verse 41 may be that he's alluding to the differences in individual glory in heaven based on faithful service to God. It could be a callback to the judgment seat of Christ, which he talked about earlier in this very letter. And, and I don't know if it is, to me personally, I don't know. I feel like I may be reading that in here. I don't know. I, I kind of lean away from that interpretation. But I, you know, there's plenty of passages that show that there are levels of reward and glory in heaven. It's just in the scriptures. Romans 8, 17 tells us, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And that verse ties together suffering for the Lord with being glorified with the Lord. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13 says this, This is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now that passage is used by some to kind of teach like some kind of an uh, insecurity of salvation that you can lose it. If you deny him, he denies you. But that's, I don't think what Paul's talking about at all. He's talking about reward with him. You know, when you trust in Jesus Christ, you will be resurrected at the rapture. You will dwell in heaven forever with him. And there will be a measure of his glory upon you. Period. However, the scripture says that if you choose to serve him faithfully now, and you do yield your life to him in submission, and you walk with God, and you faithfully walk with him, he says he wants to reward that. 
And it seems like there's a measure of glory tied to that. So when Paul talks about the stars differing in glory, some, some think maybe that's an allusion to that. I don't know that it is in the context. There's certainly scriptures that teach that idea other places. But I'll just read a quote from Warren Wearsby. He takes the view that it, that it may be talking about our place in heaven, and he says, Paul is suggesting here that the believer may differ from believer in glory, even though all Christians will have glorified bodies. Every cup in heaven will be filled, but some cups will be bigger than others because of the faithfulness and sacrifice of those saints when they were on the earth. So I share the thought because you'll see that from time to time if you read on this passage and how people try to figure out, what's he talking about? What's all he got in mind? I think, again, in the context, Paul's just more saying, look here, look here, look here. See, God can do these things. It's not too hard for him. He can give a body. He can give a a different kind of flesh. Uh, He can can glorify what he wants to glorify like he does the sun, moon, and star. So he can do it to your resurrected body. That's the point. So I think it's more likely that Paul's just continuing to illustrate God's ability and the truth that the resurrected body will surpass the earthly body as the sun surpasses the stars from our perspective. But as you go on in the passage, and kind of the passages that I get more excited about if we're talking about these, verses 42 through 44, where he starts to give you some attributes of the resurrection body. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And we're stopping there for this morning. But he gives us some descriptors of what the resurrection body is. And of course, as you read through a passage like this, again, you can always be thinking to the Lord's resurrected body because, again, it's the, it's the prototype, as it were. But Paul here, in these last couple of verses we're going to talk about, he's kind of summarizing, he's laid some groundwork with his illustrations of the seed and the crop, of the different kinds of flesh, of the glory of the sun, moon, and stars, these different things you can glean from creation to show God can, God can bring life from death, God can give the flesh he wants, God can glorify what he wants. That's all resurrection bodies. He's using these different illustrations to prove that. <clears throat> he's basically saying, he's kind of made allusion to a lot of the things he says here now. But he gives you these, these clear you know, statements. This is what it is. This is what it is. And he also tells us what it's not. First thing we want to say, first point, the resurrection body is immortal and indestructible. It's immortal and indestructible. And we're getting that from verse 42 where he says, it's sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. Corruption's a word we're familiar with, <laughs> right? Everything decays, everything deteriorates. You build a house, you've got to repair the house, or it'll fall down one day. You, you, um, you know, that's just the way things are. And the, phys- and the, the physical bodies, right, we understand that. You know, as you, as you get older becomes more and more apparent, doesn't it, that this body is sown in corruption. Even while we live, there's elements of decay in our human body and processes and things, and, you know, joints start wearing down, ligaments start wearing down, you know, you might even feel like your brain power starts winding down, you know, just all these things, just 
just like this slow roll, you know, to when we finally leave this world. We understand corruption. And then the, what does the physical body do when you bury it? We know. It decomposes back to dust. God has made it so. From dust you came, to dust you shall return. And yet God takes the dust back up and makes something better than ever. And he makes it in incorruption, immortal, indestructible. That's kind of what this word indicates here. Nothing can corrupt it. Nothing can blemish it. Nothing can hurt it. No injury, no disease, nothing. And as we talked about before, it will be of a different kind of flesh, a flesh, a.k.a. a body type, that is suited for heaven and suited for glory. Where when you stand in the presence of God, it won't just like disintegrate you like it would right now. We can, we'll be able to stand right there in the full force of God's glory. And again, we'll be beyond all death, disease, and so forth. Immortal and indestructible. He also says that uh, in verse 43, it's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. The point here, the resurrection body perfectly reflects the glory of God. You know, our earthly body, it says, is, is, is sown in dishonor. And probably the idea that he's talking about is just, is just you know, there, there's a measure of humility and modesty and inability in this human body. This human body really, on one hand, is kind of cool from God. You know, God created a, a, a good body, but because it's tainted with sin and everything, there, there's sort of a, well, again, you know, there, there's just sort of a dishonor to it. You know, you, you, you hide elements of your body. You, you kind of... You, you, you deal in that. You're limited. This body's so limited. You know, no matter how hard you try, you probably can't jump off the floor more than a couple feet. You know, no matter how hard you lift, you can only lift so much weight. You know, there's just so much limitation upon this body. And in other words, it means that this body is not all that glorious. Okay, that's really what he says. It's just not all that glorious, is it? You've got blemishes, you've got limitations. It's sown in dishonor. However... He says it's raised in glory. Raised in glory. We've mentioned this a little bit again, but it's, it's God's glory that will fill and shine through the resurrected body on a level we can't even probably imagine right now. It'll be glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ. No longer, no longer limited, no longer blemished. It'll fully reflect perfectly the glory of God. It makes me think back, we've kind of talked about this idea a little bit already, about you know if you stand in God's presence right now, His glory would just consume you. Way back in the Old Testament, Moses once wanted to see the glory of God. He, Can I see your glory? God said, well, I'll make my goodness pass before you. But he says, you can't see my face and live. Exodus 33.20, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. <laughs> And I don't think that was a rule. I think it's just because of the nature of who God is and who we are. I think it's just what would happen. <laughs> so he said, Moses, you can only see when I pass by, you can see my glory that passes by. You can only see the backside. So it's not the full blast. And he hides him in a rock even because he, he can't even handle that without some protection, right? Again, God's full glory, though, will be something we can handle. It'll be, it'll be bouncing off of our resurrected bodies, shining right through us. 
I literally think we probably will shine as the stars in heaven because of God's glory. The next point we want to make is that the resurrection body is of supernatural power. As he says at the end of verse 43, it's sown in weakness, it is raised in power. I mean, weakness, again, we understand. Our bodies are feeble and frail. You know, you get hit hard enough, you don't get back up again. You know, it can only take so much. And then they just get weaker as time goes on, it seems. Right? We understand weakness, but he's going to raise it. And there's a supernatural power that that body will, I mean, that will empower the resurrection body. And again, I, I wonder, I muse, because the Bible doesn't tell us everything, but you just wonder, what, what will be any limitations of the resurrection body? You know, again, you look at the Lord, he can be here, and then he's over here, and you kind of like, what else could he do? How much could he lift in the resurrected body? You like, pick up a bus? Or, I don't know, you know anyway, I wonder, but it's just interesting. What would it be like? Will there be limitations? Again, I sure, I sure don't think that even gravity will be a problem. The first thing I'm going to do when I'm resurrected is a Superman. <laughs> That's the first thing I'm doing, okay? Just wait for it. When you see me at the rapture, I'm going to be doing this. <laughs> okay. Only to be a J on my chest for Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. Not that I'm him, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Supernatural power that I don't even... How do, you, how do you define this? How do I define this outside of, I know what Jesus did, and it didn't seem like he had any limitations. Period. It's just beyond our imagination. Wouldn't be able to surprise me if in the resurrected body, you can go stand in the middle of the sun and be like, well, it's kind of nice here this time of year. <laughs> and then warp right back over to where God's at. I mean, this, I don't see the limitations. The last point we'll make, the resurrection body is a spiritual body. And this is really one of the key things. Maybe the most important thing he says in this portion here. This is really why they were tripping over it. You know, oh, it's natural. It's, no, it's spiritual. That's why you can't understand it now. It's in a whole other realm, in a whole other way of, of existence. You're trying to make it make sense here. It doesn't make sense outside of God and his supernatural power. It doesn't make sense outside of the spiritual realm. Verse 44, it's sown a natural body, it's raised spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. Our resurrection body is a spiritual body. Again, that's the point. The natural body is that which we have in this life, on this earth, it's suited for this. And yet it's been tainted with sin, corruption, and so forth. But the resurrection body will be suited for heaven. It'll be suited for the spiritual realm. When you're in your resurrection body, you'll be able to be fully aware of all the spiritual world and all that's going on. And you'll have full and complete fellowship with God who is spirit. Now, we'll still have a physical element to our body. There will still be a flesh. There will still be a physical nature to it. But yet it will be spiritual at the same time. And that's because, and therefore it will not be limited like our bodies now are. But it's spiritual because that's, then it'll be made for that connection with God, for that fellowship with God, for all that God has in mind for us through eternity. It is spiritual. And I just want to, I'll just kind of close with this thought. Is what God has done through resurrection, it is just, words can't describe. Because again, I think back to creation. Paul has brought my attention back to creation this morning. Talking about the 
the sun, moon, and stars, and the created kinds, and the vegetation, all these things God's created, and serve as illustrations for what he's talking about. And you think of Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam was created perfect in a natural body, a, a physical body. A body with spirit and soul, but yet it's still a, he was limited to that physical body. He lived in paradise, he lived in fellowship with God, but it was still a natural body. And yes, it would have lived forever if, this, if the curse of sin and death had not come from the fall. But it was still a natural body. But what Jesus Christ is going to do, he doesn't just take us back to Eden. He doesn't just take us back to what Adam was. We go beyond that. Resurrection takes us beyond that. You become a spiritual body, a resurrected body, a limitless body apparently, a, one of supernatural power that can fully radiate God's glory See, he doesn't just take us back. He takes us beyond. Even what was the created order. He takes us beyond that. That's the work of a redeemer. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the hope of resurrection. All of us have experienced the sting of death in this life and have said goodbye for now to loved ones. And yet, Lord, we know it's only for now because of the promises we read in the portion of Scripture today and throughout your word that there's coming a day when Christ will come in the air and we who know him will be gathered together unto you and, we'll be, and the dead will rise first and then we who alive and remain will be caught up together and we will all be in this state we just read about. Just like, just like the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrected body. Father, it's something we can barely imagine and it fills us with excitement and enthusiasm, Father, and why we eagerly await for the redemption of our bodies as it says in Romans because we know uh, just how wonderful you describe it. Father, may these truths just encourage our steps now. May we continue just to be more ready to walk with you in faith now, knowing what is ahead, knowing what's coming. And yet you call us to be faithful here. You call us to serve you now. And may we be about your work now. May we be allowing Christ to live in and through us until that day. We just praise you for the great God you are, the God of all hope, peace, and comfort. In Christ's name we pray, amen.